totally football show today. 3-3, I feel 3. Liverpool, though, left feeling hollow after threesome in Seville. 3-0 to 3-3 on the plus side. They'll surely never have a game like that again. We ran up there. Threes, Man United's freeze, Spurs ease, Chelsea's uh, Celtic on their knees and PSG's plus Bruni Gag Claxon, messy draws with old lady. Then there's everything you want to know about the weekend. Liverpool, Chelsea, of course, but also Burnley Arsenal. Can Arsenal follow up that massive Spurs win or Gunner's Gonna Gunner? It's all coming up in today's Totally Football Show. Exciting times in football land. And particularly so for us here at Totally as we're joined by Michael Cox. Hello, James. James Horncastle. That's me. <laughs> And Julien Laurent. Bonjour. Bonjour to you. Julien. Match day five, eh? Eh? Hey. What was your favourite bit, Michael? Was it the nil-nil that you sat through? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was classic. Eight games to choose from. And I chose the only one without any goals. Yeah. Uh, although it was a decent game, to be fair. This and, is uh, uh, Juventus-Barcelona. This was Juventus-Barcelona, yeah. Which, which started very well for 20 minutes or so. Uh-huh. And then I think Barcelona knew that a draw would... would I mean they were top of the group and they well, didn't really go for it. So. Yeah, I mean they didn't really go for it. They had Messi on the bench. That's how much they didn't go for it. Yeah, resting him for the weekend. Uh, it, it livened up a little bit when he came on, but they just didn't have much attacking threat. You know, they only had Suarez and Deo Lefeu as real attackers, mm. and Deo Lefeu is not a particularly Barcelona not a fan. standard player. I mean, he's all right, but mm. the idea he's starting for Barcelona in a Champions League game is uh, very odd. Okay, so a couple of things I, saw, I thought about Ernesto Valverde um, that. Uh, He's obviously established quite the authority for himself in the uh, in what the last three months um, at Barcelona to be able to to bench Messi and uh, make the argument that he needs a rest um, because um, I remember Luis Enrique doing it uh, at the beginning of 2015 and uh, they lost to David Moyes' Real Sociedad and everyone was calling for Enrique to be sacked um, shortly after that and you think of all the things that Valverde has had to put up with. You know, losing Neymar, the fans asking for the board to be censored, um, losing those Super Cups and what? Top of the table by four points. They play, play Valencia at the weekend. They qualify for their Champions League group. And uh, and obviously keeping Messi on the bench maybe thought, well, maybe Juventus aren't up to all that much really. We can, huh? get, we can get the point we need without him. Uh, they did get they the did. point they need. They're now through and they've won the group. Super. Do I need to ask you, Jules, what your favourite... Midweek bit was. Let me choose. Is it Neymar or Cavani or Dani Alves's goal? I'm not. There's so many goals. I just I, even even me. I can't really remember. Even you. Even the numbers me. say, Jules, that this is the best Champions League team ever. It's not me. It's the numbers. The best one is the one that wins it. Well, that's true. That's all. But you no one's score. ever. No one's ever had a group stage performance like this before. Twenty-four goals. Twenty-four goals scored. Just one conceded, which is a record. With and they've still got one game. To go, uh, another really scary statistic. It's the seventh time this season that they've scored at least five goals. Yeah, they, this is number no, going forward. This is they are a scary team. They're the deadliest attack in in the world. Mm. Not even City do better. No Napoli, no Juventus, no Barcelona, Real Madrid, or whoever. It's it's more the balance of the team. It's more defensively when they lose the ball. It's, it, that will be the issues when you get to the quarterfinals or the semifinals or the final of the Champions League. Right. They and are the Luton Town, actually, of Champions League. Producer Bowen just pointing out. Luton Town are yes, famous I for their seven-goal scoring exports. Yeah, and they've never won the Champions League, Luton Town, have they? So, yeah. you see? But I guess, at the end like of the PSG. day, if you score more goals... Exactly. If you score more goals than the opposition, 
you know, you, you win matches. Can they do that every time in the Champions League, especially like we said, when you get to the semi-finals and the quarter-finals? I, I hear what's I'm going on. This I'm is... not sure. I, I still think that you need to be very strong defensively to win it. Mm. They've only conceded one goal. And, and that one goal was scored by a former PSG player, Moussa Dembele. Yeah, but... Very deflection. Yeah. But it was against... I mean, again, no offence to Celtic and Anderlecht, but... It was against them. Well, they also beat Bayern 3-0, causing them to fire their manager. Here's a question from David Field. Michael, feel this one if you will. How would you go about trying to beat PSG and, in brackets, Manchester City? What are their weaknesses, Michael? Oof, that's a big question. Uh, PSG, uh, I'd be worried about the uh, defensive work, work rate of their forward players. I think transitions, uh, especially if you have a good counter-attacking team, I think they can come unstuck. Uh, Manchester City, I think, you know, Defensively, I'm not sure some of their defenders are as solid as you usually associate with with players who win the Champions League. Um, you know, Fabian Delph's done okay at left, uh, left back, but uh, you'd want to target him if you're a good side. I've spoken about Vincent Company a, a number of times. I won't do that anymore. Um, I don't think there are any outstanding teams. There, there's there's a couple of very good teams. City and PSG are very good. I'm not sure that they are faultless. So I think it could be a really exciting Champions League uh, latter stages. There's that slight asterisk with. Uh, PSG as well after Jules what happened against Barcelona last year just when they're cruising you feel that they've always got a whopping slip yeah although I think that was it was a it was a turning point that defeat as as bad as it was and Mm -hmm. as terrible as it was for the the team and the fans and the club and everybody I think they they've learned a lot from it all of them and I I just Neymar (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> not, ju- not just sign Neymar they, they, they signed Neymar because he wanted to come otherwise he was never in the plan to sign Neymar they had other plans and other like Alexis Sanchez for example who would have come to PSG if they didn't have the opportunity to sign Neymar which you know he, he gave them so they did but no I think I think they would have learned psychologically and mentally from, from that remontada and that horrible game mm. we'll see Jules elsewhere uh, in this match day five Igor Akinfeef 11 years on how many million minutes is it, Jules? Almost six million minutes and over 4,000 uh, days since his last clean sheet. Uh, 0-0 against Arsenal on 1st of November 2006. And every time on the Gold Show, for example, on BT Sport, where, is this going to be the day? Is this going to be the day? And it was never the day considered late against Spurs, for example, last season. There was a few late goals. There was a few blunders as well, because let's be honest, he's not very good. Uh, that's also why you stay 43 matches without, you know, with always conceding a goal. But finally, against Benfica, Last night he did it. Jonas missed a huge chance for Benfica, and it was the <sighs> it was the moment where you knew you knew it was his night. Wow, wonderful for him. Pretty good for Antoine Griezmann, who'd only been the eight games without scoring, but came up with an absolute screamer against Roma. Michael, goal of the night, according to you, James. Is that right? Well, that's what you said last no night. No less than <laughs> you holding that against him. Yeah. The wonder at the wonder. Mm. Yeah, nice and. Uh, uh, Atletico putting themselves back into the mix vis-a-vis qualification, although they would need Roma to draw it home with Carabag, which could happen, but also themselves to win at Stamford Bridge in the final round, Atletico. Yeah, there was a rather amusing uh, headline in Gazetta today, which was uh, oh, not more playoffs, because essentially all the final games for the Italians are like playoffs. They have to get results in order to, to qualify because none of them are, are through yet. So um, I still would back Roma to go through, even even... Knowing what we know about uh, how they've screwed things up against teams like Bati Borisov in the past, I think this is a different Roma with a different mentality and I think they can see this through. Okay. Elsewhere, just, you know, whistling through one or two other results, 
City got the win with Feyenoord, but it wasn't the goal first we thought it was going to be. Raheem Sterling uh, sorted that one out. They did bring on Phil Foden, though, for fans of England's under-21, uh, uh, under-17 world champions. Napoli offered Italy fans a little reminder of what they could have been with that wonderful goal from Lorenzo Insigne against Shakhtar Donetsk, who, the, who are the big rivals for uh, the other qualifying spot alongside Man City. Spurs topped their group with a game to go, a reminder they were drawn with Real Madrid and Borussia Dortmund. So that's pretty impressive. And Chelsea are through thanks to their 4-0 win away at Carabag. Not Liverpool nor Man United, though. Uh, Man United need to avoid a scenario which features Barza winning and uh, CSK beating them by six goals at Old Trafford. Do that and they will make the last 16. Sounds probable. But it wasn't the result they were expecting away at St. Jacob's Park, was it? 1-0? No, they were a little bit unlucky. I mean, Do you they, think? Well, they created better chances, I think. Lukaku had a very good one from a brilliant Paul Pogba pass in particular. Um, but, it's yeah, it was surprising that they um, didn't keep a clean sheet. Although I did very much like the goal that um, Basel scored. Michael Lang. Yeah, I always like it when you get, you know, system playing wing-backs one wing back crosses the ball and the other one converts it to the far post. Right. I think if you're passing a... two defenders on the way. Yeah, I think if you're playing a back four it's quite difficult to pick up that man at the far post. It's partly why Chelsea have scored so many goals with Alonso and Moses creeping in at the far stick because the full backs have to get tight and you've got a lot of space on the overlap. I think I'm right in saying Johan Cruyff once said his favourite goal was when a full back gets forward and crosses it and the other full back scores. Oh. There you go. Uh disappointment though for Man United and for Liverpool as well. What happened in Seville? All sorts of untoward things reports indicate to their fans. Mm. Uh, Liverpool uh, looking for evidence uh, to maybe take some action about that. Uh, but some very disturbing reports are there. But, I mean, if you missed just it... On, just mm. on that, Lyon had that. The Lyon fans mm. were badly treated, sorry, by the Sevilla stewards and uh, Spanish police when they travelled there. Before, so it's not the first time I'm hearing about that kind of thing. I'm right. not saying that it happened. I'm just saying it's not the first. Well, time. Well, it's quite a common uh, problem for fans away in Europe, at Spanish teams in particular. Mm. The, the Spanish police treating uh, away fans in Europe is is often a problem. Also, if you want to hold a referendum, they're not they're not particularly great either. <laughs> Fair point. Yeah. As for the game, if you missed it, Liverpool coming into this one off the back of four straight three goal wins, they went three nil up, but then. Succumbed to the greatest three-goal turnaround since well their last one. <laughs> well, the thing is, like that now looks like a glorious exception that uh, that Liverpool win in Istanbul mm. because the rule seems to be they go three 0 up and then they throw it away. They did it in two thousand against Southampton. They did it against Basel in two thousand and two. They did it against Palace in Istanbul, obviously in twenty fourteen. They did it again last night. Mm. Or Tuesday. Or Tuesday night, depending yeah, on when you're listening to this. <laughs> will they do it again on Saturday evening? That's the question. Chelsea, of course, will be visiting them at Anfield. But just when Liverpool seemed to have put to bed all those question marks over set-piece defending, etc. Yeah, it was funny as well because they scored their first two goals from set-pieces. Mm. So it looked like the tables had been turned. I think the problem here was, um, was very simple. Uh, and that was Alberto Moreno, who has actually had a very good start to the season compared to last year. Um, but he was, um, I mean, he was going back to his former club, um, who'd exploited his weaknesses a couple of years ago in the Europa League final. And he was doing a, a couple of interviews uh, ahead of this game, saying how much his defending has improved. Well, wasn't the case here. Um, the first goal in particular, he managed to concede the free kick and then get caught out. 
um, for the aerial battle with the free kick. I thought that goal was quite interesting, actually, because he shouldn't really be having Moreno defending the near post there. I mean, usually that's a job for a striker, a big number nine, which obviously Liverpool don't have, but you want someone who's big and strong, and it really look, just looks like um, the severe free kick taker just put the ball onto the head of Moreno, you know, and thought we'll have someone beating him to that. Things got worse for him when he considered the penalty for the second goal, and then he wasn't responsible for the third one because he'd been substituted by that point for James mm-hmm. Milner. So, I mean, personally, I think there'll be too much emphasis upon Liverpool blowing the lead. I think it's actually a very good point away in Sevilla. All right, but um, well, they haven't lost a game there in Europe since well for a year, and now they're in a position where they're you know odds-on favourites for the final group game. If they win that, they're top of the league. So Mm. I wouldn't worry too much if I was Liverpool, to be honest. Okay. the bigger news, of course, regarding Sevilla, the fact that after that, uh, news broke of uh, their manager, Toto Brizzo's serious illness. He was still taking training on Wednesday. There were some initial reports that he told the players this is some kind of motivational technique at half-time, but he and the players have said no. They actually had been informed some some days ago. But obviously, best wishes to him because uh, that's... uh, Prostate, prostate cancer. Yeah. So, yeah, good luck to him. Good, good luck, luck to him with that battle. Uh, we'll talk about Liverpool Chelsea after this. Tweet us at the Totally Football Show. Find us on Facebook and check us out at the thetotallyfootballshow.com. Liverpool Chelsea. Three is one number that Liverpool never want to hear again. So let's focus on the positives, eh? They've had three wins in a row in the Premier League. They've also won their last three at Anfield, 3-0. Against yeah. rubbish opponents. Yeah, exactly. Not against Chelsea. Well, well done for accentuating the positives. <laughs> Chelsea, actually, have four wins in a row. But they have made that trip to Azerbaijan, two and a half thousand miles, kilometres, one yeah. of the two, mm. and back. But uh, I suppose Conte got the job done and he was able to do it um, by leaving out Alvaro Morata. Um, yeah, they were then able to take off Marcus Alonso, give him a rest because he's always playing, mm. and uh, and Hazard as well. So still have to make the trip. Though. They still have to make the trip. Did Conte get the job done, or did the referee? Oof. That was well, a fairly t- extraordinary performance by the official. Yeah, I mean, not just the um, uh, the first penalty uh, where he then sends off um, Sadikov, uh, which looked very harsh, um, but also um, the other one uh, where he, you know, sort of sees Fabregas take it and then orders him to retake it. I think he was uh, a bit fussy, mm. uh, the Manuel de Souza. But uh, as, as James point, as James, James put it on the sh- on the the goal show on on Wednesday night, the ref wanted to be the star. I hate that, and they, he was because we're talking about him now. There was two. Yeah. Uh, there was a retake in the Sevilla Liverpool game as well, wasn't there? Mm. You don't see retakes often. Maybe it's something they're clamping down on. Perhaps so. Perhaps so. Anyway, so Chelsea after that long trip back get pretty much a day's training. And then the game should should never be on Saturday evening. Never in a million years after they played on on Wednesday evening. And you you always talk about you want to protect your teams after you know in in Europe and make make sure that. And I'm not. I don't see how this is helping. I'm sorry. Right. It's, it's really bad. If I was if I was Chelsea, I would be really really angry. There's no amount of ice baths that are going to stop this affecting. You feel? No, no, because they're worn as well. And and like James said, they're rotated and people. You know, the players won't won't be super tight and they they you know they they have a great. The flight is not in a like economy class where they all like squash. No, but and still, it's, it's air travel. It doesn't matter what class you're True, in. True, but it's still and the, the time difference in a way, I guess. But um, yeah, I was amazed to see that game on a Saturday. To be fair, mm. they are uh, vaguely interesting. They pretend it's still English time when they're abroad. Do you do that, Michael? No, but I don't regularly travel 
you know, for a day that, that, that far for a day. <laughs> yeah. So they stay on English time, but they'll get back about four. They would have got back about four a.m. this morning. Hmm. Um, we'll, we'll have a really light training session tomorrow and then travel. So it's it's not great physical yeah. preparation. And this is probably, I would say, of all the Premier League games they'll play this season, maybe the most physical against a, you know, very energetic, very strong Liverpool team. So I think that could come into it. Okay. Um, In narrative yeah. news, Mo Salah is facing his old team. Yeah, and I think I think they'll have a big uh, a big role to play. If you look at the way Manchester City beat uh, Chelsea, they used the two wingers really high and wide and pinned back the the fullback. So you expect uh, Mane and Salah will do the same. And uh, I think that will probably be the key to the game, stopping those two. A toss-up really between two of the best signings the Premier League's had this season in not only Salah, but also uh, Morata uh, as well, who's what, had a hand in 12 goals in, in 11 Premier League games. Eight goals and four assists. That uh, combination that he's got going on with Hazard at the moment, very tasty. And as we saw in Azerbaijan, Hazard in superb form at the moment. Will, uh, will club play Coutinho, Mane, Salah and Firmino all together in a game like this? Because in midfield... Henderson, who is for me the issue as well, why they concede so many goals, is mm. because he's not holding midfielder. And you've you 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 put him there, and okay, he's a he's a clever football player if you want, but that doesn't make him a holding midfielder. And he's he's scored so a, he's got a brilliant goal against Chelsea. Yeah, yeah but that's last not year. why you ask your holding midfielder to do anyway. Your holding mm. midfielder is is holding your team mm. and protecting your back four, which he he didn't do on Tuesday. He's I think he had fifty five percent. But that's uh, absolutely six, right. Joel was asking was like, about this. Come on, man. 55%. Yeah. Here's I, Joel's question. Is Jordan Henderson a good enough midfielder for Liverpool, let alone as captain? 55% pass completion rate on Tuesday. Zero control in midfield. He's holding us back. Ah, I, I completely agree with Joel. Uh, for me, it, it should never be... If that's, the, if that's the way you want to play, and mm-hmm. if you want to play those four players together, you need the other two midfielders to be very strong, Wijnaldum and, and Henderson, or Henderson and Chan, or who, whoever you want there, Milner and, and Henderson. But Henderson can't do that dirty job. He's not Casemiro, he's certainly not Busquets. Passing is an issue, but also defending is an issue. And I think, you know, if you look at the way Liverpool have, have played this season, they haven't pressed as intensely as they did last season. I think Henderson was very good last year because... If you're pressing high, that holding midfield role involves pushing up, getting tight. Now they're sitting a little bit deeper. They need someone to just be disciplined and stay in front of the defence. I don't think he's good enough at that role. So, yeah, I agree with Jules. All right. Keita's not that player either, is he? Keita can be that player. He can be that player? He was certainly against Monaco on Tuesday where he was basically everywhere. He's a bit like Conte. I I think it would be a shame to restrict him to just being a holding midfielder and just Mm -hmm. telling, okay, you stay in front of this back four and you don't go forward and you don't do your passes and you don't do this. I think he could do that. But it would be stupid because he's just so good that you you have to tell him, like Conte, basically do everything you want. Get the ball back everywhere in the pitch. Be the first attacker when you get the ball back. Passing, even dribbling if you want to go forward, but also a lot of defending, which Keita does. All right. Up top, Man City are eight points clear, as you know. Uh, They're going to take their 17-game winning streak to Huddersfield, who, of course, beat the other Manchester side there. At John Smith Stadium, didn't they? Can I object to that 17-game winning streak statistic? Because it's got Wolves in there, yeah. isn't yeah. it? I, I 16 think, and Wolves. Yeah, I think this is an important point. All right. If, if, the, if the game after extra time finishes in a draw, then it's a draw. Mm. And, it, and it's literally in the FIFA rulebook mm. that says uh, the penalty shootout is not part of the game. The game finishes a draw. Can't argue with you, Michael. They take their <laughs> impressive run of form. Yeah, I, I think this is a game for City to showcase their kind of good pass and move football because Huddersfield are not a team who sit back and try and park the bus. They're someone who, or a team who tries to push up and press. And I think 
that will probably just bring out the best in City. You know, the the movement and interplay of De Bruyne and, and Silva. I think it's worth remembering uh, going into these games that just afterwards there's a midweek round uh, of Premier League fixtures. Mm. Um, so a lot of teams will be trying to rest players. I'm not saying this particularly applies to... Uh, City, but they have played every game so far with Fernandinho, De Bruyne and Silver in midfield. At some point, they're going to have to rotate and rest. Maybe this could be the game. OK. City went there last year, actually, to the John Smith Stadium. In the FA Cup, do you know what the scoreline was? It was nil-nil. It was nil-nil. And uh, then at the replay, Huddersfield took the lead at the Etihad before getting whooped 5-1. But still, yeah, yeah your point stands. Did City count the nil-nil as a win if they won the replay? Does is that... <laughs> Now you just sound vindictive. <laughs> you sound like Jeff Stelling on expected goals. <laughs> um, oh, and anyway, but we'd still have City there as favourites? Yeah, very yeah. much so. Oh, OK. Man United, who are a point ahead of Chelsea in second place, will be hosting Brighton Saturday at three o'clock. Brighton, anyone see the Stoke game? Yes. Oh, Jules. You, you're like a sports-watching machine. I try. I try. You were up watching the Ashes last night. Yeah, I've got a small baby, which helps... Right. Because sometimes she's up in the night, so that gives me the chance to you catch say, up. You say, catch Kate, up. I'm watching the ashes. <laughs> no, I said, let me have the baby. <laughs> and then I can, you know, do my own stuff and watch the cricket. Oh, the football, for example, the Brighton Stock game that records and yeah. then I can watch you watch later. the World Series of Baseball as well yeah mm. yeah I crazy try. golf I think there's positive in every sport to watch and to learn from okay. you know Conor McGregor say he, he never loses he either wins or learns what about World's that Strongest a, Man that's a great I think that's a great line. and you know what you know yeah. what my, my oldest son Rafael who's eight yeah. um, plays football and uh, plays football pretty well doesn't he, he he's quite good he's quite who's good he with tennis. Oh, I can't, I can't, can't divert He's with too a Premier much. League side. He is with a Premier under League ni- side. What are they, under nines? Yes, they yeah. are under nines. But he said, he went what to training and he said, play, he plays midfielder. He's a, he's a clever kid. Very clever football player right. already, which I encourage him to be. But he went to training one day and said, I, 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 I heard this great quote from Colin McGregor. And it's now the, the team's motto, if you want. And the coach before every game says, don't forget that we never lose. We either win or learn. And sometimes even this season they've won and learned as well, which I thought was very good. Jules, you brought many things to this show over, <laughs> over the season. But the nah. Daily Mail would really take exception with that. That's Why? exactly what's wrong with education these days. Yeah. You know, that is no losers. That everyone Yeah, it's all right. You've done really well. Everyone gets a trophy, you know. Okay, I can't believe you brought the name <laughs> yeah, I know, of that, exactly. that organisation. <laughs> should never come back. No, it's bringing it up to condemn, you know. Right. So, um, anyway, well, it was 2-2 then, wasn't it? it? So plenty for both sides to learn. It was good. It was really good in terms of, if you like, an open match Mm. where they clearly can't defend very well, either of them, which was a bit surprising in a way because Stoke had five defenders uh, and then Kurt Zuma can't even head the ball. And I love Kurt. Uh, And Brighton, who are very good, especially the two centre-halves, are blocking shots and putting their body on the line and everything. I thought we're quite... Sleepy in that game and then quite poor defensively. The first goal, Trooper Moteng, I don't know how they, you know, let the ball um, go through in the way it did, for example. So it, it was it was more entertaining than I thought it would be because I did think, oh, okay, I'm not sure about this one, but actually it was good. So. All right. Well, <clears throat> Brighton have now uh, put together an, a five game unbeaten run. They've been around for 110 years, Michael. Do you know what they've never done in all that time? Oh, this is a good question. Oh. Win at Old Trafford. Uh, Never beaten United at all. Mm. 16 times they've faced them. Mm. Of course, this is the new look, Man United, with Zlat back and, and Pogba snazzing everything up for them again. Yeah, this is a game, I think, for Pogba, because Brighton will sit deep. They'll defend two banks of four. 
They're okay on the counter-attack, but I think Mourinho will uh, let Pogba just do what he wants. Really? And so far, since he's returned, he's looked really sharp, physically fit, and played some wonderful passes as well. Okay. Jules, you must be enjoying seeing Paul Pogba back. Yeah. And I, I said it on the pod before, I think people were really harsh last season with him and with his performances and the stats and everything. And it was... The talent was always great and fantastic. He was just needed maybe a better environment and I think Matic has helped a lot and the team maybe playing a bit different that they did last season and I think if you know if you leave him space on the ball and I, I expect Brighton to you know not man mark him but I think being very very tight to him because otherwise he will pick the passes like stro- like you pick strawberries in your garden and uh, and, and can hurt re- can really really hurt you <laughs> he's a okay. magnificent cross of the ball and I think that's one of the things that's kind of underrated about him is that he's just the, the the variation of his crosses where he plays them in quick, or he plays them in slow, always super precise. I think he's one of the best crosses that United have had probably since Bex. Yeah, I was going Lee Sharp, but you're Lee Sharp. And he's the diagonal, the sharpie well. shuffle, those long diagonals yeah. board that they've missed so badly when he was not there because no one else in that team can do them. But to switch the play. In a split second, 60-yard pass diagonal is, is just brilliant, especially when you play against a team that sit deep and has a block that moves from shuffle from right to left. Mm. If you can switch the ball that way very quickly, that can unravel the, the way they're defending. And they've missed that. And you, when you see him at training with France, for example, in warm-up when people do like, you know, keep your happy or things like that, he does 70 meters diagonals at, at warm-up. And you think like, wow, mm. it's, with both feet as well. It's, it's the warm-up special. he did with Pirlo. Two years studying at the yeah, Pirlo University. No. No. Yeah. Mm-hmm. News Amon Paul Pogba. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, look out, Brighton fans. Uh, also, this weekend involving top four side Spurs, who are in force, are going to be taking on a Gary Mexon side. That is special. We're going to hold that back to a little bit later on. Who says 2 0 is the most dangerous scoreline? With two up from Paddy Power, you can back any team in the Premier League or La Liga to win, and if they go two goals up, Paddy will pay out immediately as a winner, even if that team ends up losing. So, if you think David Moyes will inspire his hammers to go two up at home to Leicester this weekend, before whispering Claude's inspirational halftime team talk sees the Foxes hit three unanswered in the second half, it doesn't matter. Head to paddypower.com to find out more. T's and C's apply. Exclude shop and cashed out bets. 18 plus only, be gambleaware.org, and when the fun stops, stop. Continental Football News. Michael, what's the tightest title race in Europe? The tightest title race in Europe? Well, I guess it's Syria. Do you know, I think you might be right. Look at that. Napoli on 35 points, Inter 33, Juve 31. And then you've got Roma a point behind them. With a game in hand. And December's going to be super tasty as well because uh, even to play Napoli, they play Inter and they play Roma. Mm. Um, so I think Can if- Juve repeat? Is this going to be Napoli's year? A lot of people are asking. But the team, I think they've all got to watch out for. The Nedazuri. Uh, yeah. Here's Joshua saying, other than Icardi, who are the players inspiring this inter-resurgence? Well, they've made one of the signings of the season in uh, a player I don't think a lot of people knew uh, much about, which is Milan, Milan Skriniar. Um, they spent, what, £20 million, um, on from Sampdoria. Um, and uh, he's been magnificent at the back for them. Um, so good with his feet that when um, he played against England at Wembley, he played in midfield. Um, and you know he's been able to um, steady a defence which was conceding too many goals. And of course, I think you know, talk about uh, individuals in that uh, that inter side. I think the one that they all think is the crucial figure in it all is uh, 
is Luciano Spalletti, the, the coach, who's really kind of instilled a, a winning mentality to that team. But they're all very mindful of what happened a couple of years ago uh, when they, you know, they went into the final game before Christmas, um, top of the table, uh, with a chance of being winter champions. Uh, they lost. Uh, they kind of imploded against Lazio and then they just fell away in the second half of the season. I don't think that's um, going to happen this time around with Spalletti, but it's something that's very much in the minds of uh, the Interisti. Mm. Who have they got this weekend? They have got um, someone who plays in Italy. Cagliari away. Cagliari. Okay. Who have they got oh. this weekend? Cagliari. And um, yeah, Cagliari, since they've been playing uh, Diego Lopez, who's come mm. into the and uh, replaced. Uh, Rastelli, they've actually been quite good. I think they've won three of their last four games. So could the be fixture, a, a, of course, a test. Right. The fixture, of course, that everyone's very excited about is Benevento's away at Atalanta as they look to not make it 14 games and 14 defeats. Mm. Now the worst losing streak of all time. Atalanta, of course, on Thursday are playing on Merseyside mm. against, uh, against Everton, who they absolutely smashed 3-0. In fact, they were 3-0 up at half-time. Um, uh, back in uh, what was that match day one of the Europa League and uh, yeah I don't particularly fancy uh, Benevento's chances in this one and you just think you know, we built up that game against Sassuolo as, as the one where they were going to get a point um, they really should have done and yet they conspired in every way to cock it up at the end by giving a penalty away Sassuolo hit the bar and then scored from the resulting corner you just think that uh, coming back from that it's going to be very difficult. I mean, that must be just an absolute killer. In Germany, massive game for Borussia Dortmund. It's full-on crisis, really, there for Peter Bosch. Uh, I think it's now five defeats in six. We're looking for a new Bosch if he uh, <laughs> if he loses <laughs> against Schalke. Sure, Possibly, yeah. yeah. And Schalke coming up this weekend at the Signal Iduna Park. Their big rivals, Schalke, are up in second place mm. in the uh, Bundesliga. And problems with uh, Obama Yang, who's been the main source of goals, but no longer, although he did score midweek. A lot of talk that he might be on his way uh, soon. Uh, in Spain, huge game on Sunday night, as uh, as you mentioned before, Valencia host a Barcelona team that won't have Gerard Pique because he'll be suspended. Valencia, who've had an astonishing turnaround, Murray Tavendale saying they appear to be good at football again, given that they were a step away from being a Spanish Sunderland. What went right? The the manager, they changed the manager, Marcelino, which I think was a very good choice. And they also gave him, which was not the case before in previous seasons with managers, they, they gave him like the uh, basically being the boss, which again, I don't think before there was a lot of interferences with the manager. This time he's... You know, choosing the profiles he wants to sign, and then they they give him names, for example, and he you know he, he goes on. He's very involved in the recruitment, and also he's a very good manager. And and the players they've had, we've we've talked about it with with Jim a lot. Are reject players for most of them, players who were a failure where they were before, and either they were signed on loan or permanently. But people like Kondogbia, Simone Tsatsa, um, you know, loads of players like that. Garay at the back. Gabriel, for example, from, from Arsenal as well. Um, you've got loads of players like that, plus a few experienced ones who were already at the club before, mm. like Dani Pareja. And Parejo, sorry. And then young players, Santimina, Soler, and put that all together with a good manager. And you have a, a very good team who only plays once a week, though. No you have a for them. second-ranked team in, in the league, four points behind Barca. And they could really blow that title race wide open this weekend. Uh, Michael, 
Uh, I was at this game last year, and I think it might be the best game I've ever been to. Really? And I think if you look at the last 10 years, Valencia Barca is just consistently really entertaining. Always end-to-end, loads of goals. Valencia, I think, away from home, often a little bit too negative at the Camp Nou, but at home at the Mestalla, they just go for it. What it's happened great. in the one you went to see, then? Uh, it was 3-2, um, and it was settled by a last-minute penalty from Leo Messi, which was particularly exciting because Valencia goalkeeper... Um, his name I've forgotten. Diego, uh, Diego Lopez is a fantastic penalty taker. So you had this kind of great head-to-head battle at the end. But it was just constant action. And, and that is, you know, the Mestalla of Valencia usually put on a show against um, Barca and Real. Mm, there you go. If you're not busy Sunday night, get yourselves along to the Mestalla in Valencia. Because Simone Zaza, their big weapon. Now, nine goals in 11. That's right. Nine goals. <laughs> not in 11 years. 11 matches. Yeah. But the thing is, uh, Jean-Pierre Ventura, the now ex-Italy manager, ignored him for so long. And then he called him up for the playoff. And what happened? Poor old Zaza did his knee. So, you know, he was on the bench when they played and won against Espanyol. And uh, I think one of the positives that uh, uh, the Valencia fans took from that was that yeah, Marcelino actually rotated his squad a bit there. And uh, they found a way to win. Um, you know, without their best players, or they they did bring on, I think, Guedesh and uh, Soyer at the end. Um, but that's been the question mark about them: whether they have the depth um, to um, sustain this title challenge. And uh, yeah, I mean, they they found a way to win without Zaza. We'll have to see whether he's fit uh, to play this weekend right. as well. Valencia then potentially could go a point behind Barcelona, and as you say, Jules. No Europe, no Europe. Mm. Also on Sunday night, if you don't make the trip to the Mestalla, there's a big game in France as Monaco host PSG. How many are PSG going to score, Jules? Three. I mean, the average after the the seven one against Celtic is three point seven two per game in all competition. Right, and Monaco are coming off yet another massive disappointment in Europe. Last season, semi-finalists won't even make the Europa League this time. No, it's a crazy, it's a crazy failure. The, the keep called it pathetic. I think there's a lot of people, even in the principality, who are shocked. And you know, the prince was there at the game like he always is, and and it's just something you didn't expect. Okay, they sold their best players, and we know that, and they're rebuilding a team. But even rebuilding a team, they've made some interesting signings or good signings. And even if the team hasn't really gelled properly now, they still had enough talent and quality to, to go through in this group. It was, a, it was not the toughest group of all. It was a group that definitely they could have finished in the top two. Uh, and they, they, have, they, they haven't even won. That's how bad it is in five games. Two draws and three defeats. They lost at home to Leipzig, to Porto and to Besiktas. And it's just they were just um, not able to just step up a level because in the league they're actually doing as well as last season. They've, they have now as many points as they have same stage last season. But in Europe, somehow they just struggle so badly, defensively especially. I think Jardim made a lot of sense uh, when he had to basically explain this elimination in the group stages by basically saying, look, this is, this is the cycle at Monaco. You know, in 2015, we got to the quarterfinals, we got knocked out uh, by Juventus, we sold all of our best players. Then the following year, we didn't even make the group stages, we got knocked out in the playoffs because we were having to start all over again. Mm. I suppose they then get to the semi-finals last year, they've had to do exactly the same this summer, mm-hmm. and perhaps you can, mm. you can expect it. Next, next sure. season, maybe the final. Yeah. Um, right. If you look at their starting 11, the, yes. the, the strongest they can put out. So, OK, CDB and Lemar were out on Tuesday, they've been missing for five weeks now if, if, you, if they have their strongest 11 they're the better, team, the better team in that group which was not the case in the, the time they didn't qualify for the group stages they right. were beaten by a better side in the playoff that happens but this time they were the better team 
even in transition like they are, mm. they still should have done better than two draws and three defeats. Saturday at three o'clock in the Premier League, Michael, Spurs take on West Brom, who in, in no way counterintuitive news have managed to get rid of Tony Pulis for Gary Megson. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure that he will be a full-time appointment. Right, OK. But uh, in the know. meantime, he's doubled the ginger quotient, yeah. quotient in, in the Premier League. Sean Dyche, the other one. OK, yeah. 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 Now, that's uh, important. Yeah. Are they the only ginger managers in European football? At least in the top five leagues. I don't think we have any in France. Really? Yeah. Oh, producer Ben was just pointing out, Pochettino's actually heading that way. I don't know if you've seen... Some, I don't know if he got his products mixed up, but he, he certainly was... True. He had a chestnut kind of tinge. Yeah. The other day, I have tones of ginger, but only in my sideburns, which is very weird. Fascinating, it's yeah. on the beard. not desperately relevant. No, I know, but um, mm. you know. But anyway, it's so often on the beard because Messi has a ginger beard. He does have a ginger beard? No ginger hair. So. He might have a ginger beer as well, but not when Pep Guardiola's watching. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, sorry, we got a little bit off the track there. Spurs <laughs> and West Brom, and Gary Megson in charge, who last managed Michael in 2012 when he got sacked by Sheffield Wednesday. Previous in charge of Bolton, uh, I'm, I'm surprised. I mean, he was he was basically Tony Pulis's assistant, which is why he's filling in now. Yeah. Alan Pardew supposedly is the choice as the permanent manager, or pr- probably the, they're interviewing him today. I think. Yeah, I mean that looks like it could well happen. I mean, for this weekend, Megson, you know, he's not going to last there very long, but he's still popular with the supporters, I believe, and, and the supporters were so kind of just desperately bored of of Pulis. So I, you know, I think Megson might give them. The supporters and maybe the players a little bit of a lift. Um, can we talk about Tottenham and their result in midweek at Dortmund? I don't think we've discussed that. We I haven't. Mean, uh, just a really good performance. I think people have almost taken it for granted how well Spurs have done. They've won four of their five games. The draw was away at Real Madrid. Dortmund are struggling, but it's still not an easy place to go in the Champions they League. They went behind as well. Went behind and they came back. A really good performance um, from Deli Ali, I thought, who got two assists, which is very good for him because he started the season a little bit sluggishly and I thought was getting a lot of unfair criticism after the North London derby last week. A lot of people saying, um, including Jamie Carragher, I was surprised about, was saying, oh, if, if um, Ozil had played as badly as Ali in the North London derby, we wouldn't have heard the end of it. But OK, Ozil is a World Cup winner who's at his peak age, who was signed for £45 million. People forget Deli Ali's only 21. He was playing for MK Dons a couple of years ago. Mm. It's, it's inevitable that he's going to be inconsistent and what he's done so far has been incredible. Um, and I don't think there's any reason um, to take his dip in form too seriously. I think Tottenham will be relatively comfortable against okay. West Brom. They've won three straight at Wembley now, plus that Real Madrid uh, victory in the Champions League. Came back on the score sheet midweek. He got a hat-trick in the fixture last season between Spurs and West Brom. Uh, so, yeah. That goal was, I mean, if anyone had kind of... The ignored, which one? The one midweek? Yeah. If anyone had ignored football for the last three years and come back and said, hang on, who's this Harry Kane guy? Why does he score so many goals? I'd show them that goal. OK, why? I think it was just... It was kind of unspectacular but brilliant at the same time. He got the ball in a tight situation on the edge of the box. I can't work out whether his control was deliberate and brilliant no or, or if it just hit no both way. his feet and rebounded into his path. But, but that's, as you but, say, that's the key. way. he just keeps on doing that. It's yeah. a little bit like Filippo Inzaghi where he just get lucky so many times that eventually it's not luck anymore. You know, it's just something he does. And Kane's just very good at making the half a yard for a shot and, and just squeezing it. You know, he never really goes top corner, but he slides it into kind of awkward areas for the goalkeeper. Mm. I just thought it was a really Harry Kane goal. Magnificent. 
The question we're all asking, though, this weekend is, as Burnley take on Arsenal, will the Arsenal comeback crumble there at Turf Moor? Will Ozil and Sanchez light it up like they did in that North London derby? Where do you stand on this, James? In theory, I would think this would be a bit of a trap game for Arsenal, knowing what we know about Burnley and the opponents that uh, Arsenal struggle against. But then again, you look at Arsenal's record against Burnley. They've won every game against them. Um, yeah, they were they were lucky with that. They were lucky with the, the, Kishel, the Kishelny goal. But the thing is, in other times, I mean, Sanchez always seems to have a lot of joy uh, against uh, against Burnley. He's got four goals against them, and uh, and I think we recall that. Uh, that lucky win mm-hmm. was being used at the time as kind of, oh, this is, this is a reason why Arsenal can be title contenders. Um, alas, that wasn't to be. But they don't seem to have too many problems against Burnley. OK. Burnley are level on points. And I put it to you, this is a different Burnley this year. They have mm. stepped up uh, at least one gear. Level on points, uh, looking for their fourth win in a row. They've had six clean sheets in nine. Uh, Benji was waxing eloquent about me and Tarkovsky uh, just back on, on Monday. Uh, a tough trip this as well for the Arsenal fans. Remember last year there were massive delays on the railways after their train collided with a herd of cows. Wow. <laughs> it's true. I think if Burnley... I mean, you're right, Burnley have stepped up in terms of how good they are, but also in terms of how they play. They're not quite as defensive as last year. it be interesting to see how they do play this weekend because I think Arsenal would probably struggle if Burnley just park the bus and sit deep. If Burnley do come out and play... And play in a good open game of football, I think Arsenal will win easily. So I think Burnley might revert to last season's approach. Do you think also Arsenal have got to go all the way to Cologne and back Thursday evening and Burnley don't? But they will play two different 11s. None, none of the players who will start against Cologne will play against Burnley. Huh. And interestingly, when, when Wenger's played Ozil, Lacazette and Sanchez together, which is only yeah. three times, they started, they've won three games. When Sanchez and Lacazette have played together five times, they won five games. And you... We're like end of November, I don't know, end of November, mm-hmm. they've played three games together. What's going on? What's, well, I don't know, there was a bit of injuries. Why on earth, like I said, didn't start against City, for example, or against Liverpool as well, is still beyond me. The good oh. thing against uh, Spurs was he went in behind, which is what you've been saying that he never does, and it was interesting to see those runs, yeah. Like Michael said, will there be that space for him to run in behind, for like I said, to run in behind, or will, will, will Burnley sit, sit really deep and, and wait for Arsenal? Mm. James, who is Sven Mislintat? <laughs> He's the former chief scout of Borussia Dortmund. How excited should Gunners fans be? Well, look, I mean, he's credited with finding people like uh, Shinji Kawaga, um, which I think is... Um, Shinji who? Shinji Kawaga. It's He's the Japanese Kawaga, yeah. But... Um, Look, I mean, one of the things I'm a little bit amused about, um, yeah, it kind of is a sign of progress in that maybe Arsene Wenger is open um, to to someone having uh, more of a say on recruitment, which I don't think has always been the case uh, there. But then again, he's a chief scout, he's not a sporting director, and they're still apparently looking for a sporting director. And for me, I would usually expect the sporting director to come in and then appoint the chief scout. I don't, I, I think there's, it seems, um, it seems the wrong way around, uh, if you like. But um, yeah, I think this is part of the problem with Dortmund. We're going back to, you know, they lose their best players every year, they lose their manager, and now they're losing um, their chief scout. It's, um, you know, you wonder who's next, you know. it's That, that, that poor institution's been sort of completely cannibalised. So if we see Arsenal uh, recruit um, with uh, more decisiveness than they have done in the past, 
then that's a positive. But at the end of the day, that would be, you know, that would be that would come from a sporting director, not from, um, not necessarily from a chief scout. I wasn't actually all that interested in 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 that question, but you know, that's an extraordinarily complete answer. <laughs> and Arsenal, Arsenal paid <laughs> Arsenal paid two million euros for for him, which is more than anyone would have to pay for Ozil or Sanchez. How do you mean they paid two million more for him? They had to pay compensation. Yeah, they paid. Oh, I think it's between one point eight and two million euros. Oh, I see your point because they're going on a free. Yeah, and Ozil and Sanchez were going on a free. Well, that's yeah. I All right. It kind Ooh, of rules out Thomas Tuchel coming if if Wenger were to leave in the summer because, because he and fell Fred out with on, missing yeah. time, oh, time. That is interesting. Uh, Michael, are I you sure? It's worth pointing out that uh, you know he's been very good at getting late teenage players, and then Dortmund have developed them. Usman Dembele. Yeah, Arsenal Did you mention have, him. Arsenal I have kind of zoned out. Yeah, but <laughs> he didn't find he didn't find Dembele. Everybody, everybody. Yeah, you play football show and BT Sport fan Dembele before him. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? He like, should hire us. Kagawa is okay, or the Japanese character is yeah. okay. Also, Pulisic, we're not busy on Sundays. Yeah, we're not busy. But finding Pulisic with the US and the 17, fair enough, that's okay. him. But Obama Young and Dembele, I'm sorry, that's it's not him. Right. But but Arsenal haven't developed those players like they used to. Wenger used to be the master of getting 19-year-olds and making them into world-class players. Who was the last player Arsenal did that with, really? You're going back quite a long way. Yeah. Listeners, we could be here some time. Um, <laughs> anyway, yeah. we'll take a break oh. then, eh? Uh, and then we'll be back with a crucial, a decisive final part. My name, as if you didn't know, is James Horncastle. And although I keep my hair long, I like to keep my beard short. And when it comes to shaving, I insist on Cornerstone. Cornerstone takes all the hassle out of shaving. You'll never run out of blades again. Just let them know how often you shave and they'll take care of the rest. Get £10 off your first order and find out more about your perfect shave box at cornerstone.co.uk forward slash totally. Lightning Tez says, who's a good tournament coach who could take the vacant Australian job at the World Cup? Who would your pick be, Michael? This might be the obvious answer considering he's been there already, but uh, Gus Hiddink, I mean, did a good job with them before, took South Korea to the semi-finals famously, um, you know, w- was involved in top-level football as recently as this time, no, two, this time two years ago, I should mm-hmm. say, with Chelsea. Um, I'm sure he'd be a very popular appointment in Australia. Yeah, well, that's very expensive. Golden Goose. Golden Goose. <laughs> nice. Uh, now, live news. If you're hankering to see us recreate this podcast sort of live on stage, then the Indigo at the O2 is where you need to be on Wednesday, the 29th of November. On the off chance that there's any tickets left, head to the O2's website and you might book yourself a, a seat to see Ian McIntosh, Rafa Honigstein and our special guest Kevin Bridges. And 90s icon James Richardson. 90s icon James Richardson will be wheeled out of... Star of the show. <laughs> whatever cover they've been keeping him in, dusted off, pointed at the... Whoever turns up. Anyway, that's coming up on the 29th of November. Jules, you did our you did our last live show, and yeah. you were a little bit concerned about it going in. Did you have a good time? It was amazing. Thank right. you very much for having me, and thank you Birmingham and the the Glee Club for they the were great a nice reception. Crowd, they were fantastic. They? We had nice? such a great time, didn't mm. we? Anyway, and we said, by oh. the way, on that show, yes. When they asked us who's the next manager to be sacked, we said Tony Pulis, didn't we? That is so spooky. Yeah. And we we absolutely battered him, and then. You got sucked. Clearly, West Brom were in the audience. Yeah, sure. John Williams. Now, uh, teams that are also struggling, like West Brom this uh, this season, uh, Crystal Palace. 
bottom of the table, and they're hosting a Stoke side that's in 15th place. Sider Berahino, this has been a big week for people breaking their ducks. Mm-hmm. Not least Igor Akinfeev. Could it be the game that Sider Berahino finally gets a goal? He hasn't scored since February 2016. Do you know who the opponent was then? Palace. Crystal Palace. Palace. <laughs> Crystal Palace. And, and here he is again, uh, 2,159 minutes without a goal later. Wow. Right. Do you want another stat about this game? If you, yeah. Yeah. I kind of zoned out. If, <laughs> if he plays, and he has actually started for the last 103 games, so you think he probably will, Darren Fletcher will make his 327th appearance in the Premier League, which is the most any Scots player has ever put together. That's very impressive considering his uh, illness. You know, one day I went to uh, Winter Wonderland in Hyde Park with my kids. Oh, yes. And as it was dark, we were leaving. Mm-hmm. And as we were leaving, we saw Joe Cole, who was also leaving with his family. Mm-hmm. And Darren Fletcher arrived. And his teeth were so white that in the dark, <laughs> I swear to God, in the dark, he lights up the whole place. Feels and like it an was, attraction. Wow. It was fantastic. Darren, well done for your teeth. I mean, Firmino has special teeth as well. Does he? Cahill. Yeah, yeah. Gary Cahill as well. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. It's really? Excellent dental care, yeah. I James think... knows a, a thing or two with dental care, by the mm. way. I think Palace will win this. I, I think Palace are quite a good side. <laughs> Genuinely. I don't know. I was told, like, Roy Hodgson was <laughs> going to come. A tangential, and... <laughs> Michael, but all right, if you insist. Uh, okay. <laughs> I think they've been really unlucky all season. They're unlucky under De Boer. Well, the they've been unlucky. Goals. They've been unlucky under Hodgson. Mm. They've got Benteke coming back, which gives them a different kind of option. And, uh, I, yeah, I still think they're a really good side. It's not since um, Klopp's final season at Dortmund that I've seen a team so unfairly struggling in the really? relegation zone. Yeah, Palace to show their teeth. Yeah, if you remember we went Stoke. to see Dortmund that time. Yeah, uh, me and James did a trip to Dortmund and, oh, yeah. and uh, they were second bottom, I think, maybe bottom going into winter. That's when and, Kevin De Bruyne was at Wolfsburg. Yeah, that was yeah. the game we went to see. And, and every fun. game they were play, outplaying their opponents, but just conceding silly goals. Palace kind of remind me of that. I still think they'll recover. Okay. Good news for the folks down at Selhurst Park. Uh, Swansea are taking on Bournemouth. Swansea have the worst home form in the division. Bournemouth have won three of their last five and have Callum Wilson back. And he's looking fantastic. That's great news to have him back. And Indeed. Tammy Abraham's a doubt for Swansea as well. So. Stretch it off against Burnley, but expected to be fit, okay. I believe. Is that like expected goals? Possibly so. Yeah. He's been responsible for seventy, more than 70% of their goals this season. Tammy 70% Abraham. of how many goals? Well, he scored four and assisted one, so... Right, I think, is it seven then? Yeah. <laughs> right. Sw- okay. Swansea, by the way, who lost Claude Makelele, the assistant manager, ah. which I don't think we point out enough, didn't. who went to Hupen in Belgium ah. as a number one manager to replace the, the former manager who was sacked, called Jordi Condom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought you'd like the story. <laughs> no, it's his yeah. real name, I swear. Jordi Condom. Condom. <laughs> <laughs> Surely you have a line about that. Right. Uh, I mean, he's, he's, he's Not enough protection. You'd think he'd yeah, be well. Right. <laughs> protection. Good in the dead rubbers. Yum, dum, yum, dum, dum. Oh, yeah. yeah. Good shout from Ben. But French Macaulay, letters. Ma- Macaulay was good, I work. thought, for Swansea. Especially mm. when he arrived with Paul Clement. I think defensively, he got them better organised and, and everything. Let's mm-hmm. hope he does the same in, in, in Belgium. They're All still right. quite a good team defensively. They've just got nothing going forward. I feel really sorry for Clement because I think he's a really talented guy. The work he did with Ancelotti um, was excellent. And we saw that Ancelotti has struggled without him. Whether that's related, I don't know. Um, but they sold Llorente and they sold Sigurdsson. And he's done the best he can with a pretty limited squad. They're going to have to sign, I'd say, at least three players in January to have a, a 
a chance of staying up. There's rumours that, that, you know, Clement's job could be under threat, but I don't know what else he can do, really. I think mm. he's done a decent job. You'd appeal for Clement C. <laughs> Very much so, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Friday night, there's a game. It's West Ham against Leicester. Wow, there's a rapturous reception, no doubt, awaiting David Moyes at the London Stadium. Foxes have actually won their last two visits to West Ham, and Club Puel has, has been a big hit. To some people's surprise, Jules, but not yours. No, no, I thought, like we said before, I thought he was a bit harshly treated at mm. Southampton by the media, but also, and the fans in many ways were not happy with his style of football, and by the club, we didn't really give him the time to, you know, to to do a better job if you want although first season 8th in the Premier League League Cup final I think it was their first final in like 25 years or something like that and they, they were very close to winning it as well I thought Leicester played really well against City um, uh, no long ago and and I like what, what Pearl is doing there and and for Moyes, I thought it was really bold from him to slaughter his players after the defeat at Watford and especially the, the you know the, the his best players saying they completely underperformed I mm. thought like well you've just walked in the door and you already like slaughtered him so it'd be interesting to see what happens on Friday but it will interesting times ahead uh, as well for West Ham who have a trip to Everton coming up midweek then City away Chelsea home and then Arsenal at home and they're not and far off the bottom three as it stands and they've, they've also got uh, the League Cup game against Arsenal as well mm. and I do worry for Moyes about this because you know, as I think I might have said previously, he's not the kind of manager who's going to come in and fire people up and have that kind of, um, you know, new manager bounce. What he is is a training ground manager. And they've got so many fixtures coming up, the midweek game, the League Cup game, the Christmas fixtures. They're not going to have that much time on the training ground. So he's not going to have that much time to actually turn things around. And going into this game, they're without Font, they're without Hernandez. I think Ayu Arnautovic and Collins are all doubts. So if he's trying to get a, a cohesive 11 together, he's really going to struggle over the next week or so. Oh, dear. Also, this weekend, finally, this weekend, Newcastle, who have had a bid, £300 million bid put in for them by the, uh, the, the, the consortium represented by Amanda Staveley, will be hosting a Watford team who have one or two question marks hanging over their own future in, in the shape of whether Marco Silva will be a part of it. It looks like he's staying though until the yep. end of the season, yeah. Which well, I think is is great from Watford to you know to um, what you say stand stand their ground and like not not letting a bigger club if you if you if you will if you want uh, coming and just get the manager four months into the season. I think well done to them, and mm-hmm. I think Marco Silva. It's not even a, a big opportunity lost for him because he will have probably better clubs coming for him in the summer, and it'd be easier for him probably to leave in the summer by saying to the club, you know, you 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 didn't want to let me go. If he wanted to go uh, in November, now you can let me go because he's surely, no offence to Watford, but too good for Watford. Well, Watford are very well aware that uh, you know when they appointed him, he made it very clear yeah. that it was a stepping stone to, to something True. else. True. And he's always been very honest about that. Did it with Hull, doing it with Watford. So, so yeah. We'll I see. think he should prove himself over a season as well. Not just half a season at Hull, yeah. half a season here. You know, yeah. it, we've yeah. seen before managers can come in, have an impact, and then it all goes a little bit pear-shaped, as has happened really for Watford with both uh, Kike Sanchez-Flores and uh, exactly. Massari, who had pretty comparable records at this time well, of the exactly season, the let's same. not forget. Yeah. Yeah. But the same points right? as they did this, this time of the last season? Exactly. I, th- I think they had maybe one or two points left. No, it's, it's exactly, exactly the same. same. Okay. Exactly the same as last year at the moment. Really? So Marco Silva has been as successful 
as Walter Mazzari at this point of the season. And this is where it started to fall apart for Mazzari. I think he had, I think, I can't remember the stretch of games after this, but he only picked up something like 10 points for a long time. So that's where it all started to fall away. Well, before this weekend's, last weekend's win for Watford, it hadn't been a good run of games. This time around, they got that trip to St. James's. Newcastle currently themselves on a run of three defeats in a row since the tide is going back out a little bit for... Uh, Rafa Benitez again there. Yeah, I, I, a little bit like Clement actually. I think Benitez has got them really well organised. I just don't think their attackers are good enough. Um, you know, maybe you can say Benitez isn't given quite enough freedom to Perez uh, and the wide players, but they're doing their job defensively. That's what Benitez does. You need a, a bit of attacking inspiration in, in terms of individual quality. Mm. I think it just needs to be patient because, it, you know, if this takeover does um, because is completed, then you know he perhaps will have the money that he's been sort of crying out for, really. Um, that would also allow Newcastle to keep him because it's hard to think that they could get as good a manager as, uh, as Rafa Benitez. But um, Everton, going back to the, going back to that, uh, their interest in Marco Silva and you know, the fact that uh, he's got the same points as Matsari this stage last year. Matsari is available. You know, if they want to appoint if they want if they want to appoint him. You know, I mean. That's a make, make the same case. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. they might pass on this one. He okay. supposedly spent his time in Liverpool, uh, some time in Liverpool, learning English before he got the Watford job. So, you know, I mean, there you go. Certainly paid dividends, didn't it? <laughs> it really did, yeah. All, all, right. those, all those press conferences in English <laughs> and all those interviews in English. <laughs> that is very much the Premier League weekend. We haven't mentioned arguably the most important fixture coming up over the next couple of days, which will be taking place... Uh, in Chester, in the in the National League, Chester taking on Dagenham and Redbridge, are absolutely flying, of course, Michael, and fifth right now in the National League. Yep. And uh, I'll be there, actually, you know, for the BT Sport coverage. Tell us something about that game, Michael. Uh, well, Chester's stadium famously was half in England, half in Wales, but I'm not sure that's still the case because it's been rebuilt. So maybe you want to check that before your intro. And pack my passport. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I, I, uh, I remember being told a story about one of the Italian managers at Leighton Orient um, and uh, this kind of uh, performance analysis department, opposition analyst department, kind of came to them and said, look, this is who we're playing at the weekend. And it was Dagenham and Redbridge. And the Italian just couldn't get his head around the fact that they were one team. He thought they were two teams. He was like, so, OK, we're playing Dagenham this week. When are we playing Redbridge? Why are you bringing me this? And they're like, no, it's the same team. He's like, I don't understand. There are two teams, surely. It's Dagen and Redbridge. He's like, be, no. It should be called Daggerbridge, like Sampdoria, who were... Uh, yeah, yeah, Andrea Doria. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Great story. <laughs> it's so good to end the show. It's good. such a great story. Yeah, that's the culture shock yeah, that you get when you come, come to this country, you see. Yeah. Right. I've got, I've got another bad story on Leighton Orient if you That's want. That's a shame because I thought they booked me for two fixtures. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you see. Jules, you've got something else. I've you got a bad story on Leighton Orient if you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So David David Beckham famously played his last professional game for PSG away at Lorient in uh-huh. France in Ligue 1. And a lot of English fans thought it was actually L Orient for Leighton Orient. So they rang up the Leighton Orient club asking for tickets against PSG to watch David Beckham play his last game. Is that true, That's George? definitely true. And Leighton Orient, I said, no, no, it's not Leighton Orient. It's not El Orient. It's Lorient in Brittany in France. Wow. On that note, we draw proceedings to a close. Thank you ever so much for being here today, Jules. It's a pleasure. Anytime. Thank you. James, it's been magnifique as ever. Thank you. 
and uh, so informative, Michael. Thank you very much. But then aren't you always? <laughs> we'll be back on Monday, everybody. Uh, there'll be loads to talk about from the weekend, and of course we'll be looking forward to those midweek fixtures and more besides. So I hope you'll be joining us then and that you have a super time in the meanwhile. For now, though, it's bye-bye. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com.